Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning, and you're going to want to check them out. Yes, don't forget you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. On today's episode, we have the order of things. Yes, there's definitely a correct order to doing things with your dog when it comes to training especially, and we're going to talk more about that today. Then comes high energy breeds. Do you have a high energy breed? Are you thinking about getting a high energy breed? This segment's for you. Yeah. Then comes our newest segment, The First Pets, where we talk about the first pets of the United States. Yes, the pets of the presidents. Following that comes the listener Q&A, and if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. You can also send questions my way on social media, uh, comment on a post, whatever you'd like. Feel free to send over any animal pet training questions, might get featured on the podcast. But before we get going with today's show, gotta give you that trivia question, and today's question is going to be, what is the oldest species of animal in the world? Yes, what's the oldest species of animal in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the order of things. It's the order that you do things with your dog with training. It may be something you haven't thought about before, but it is very important. I'm here to tell you the way, the order that you do things, the sequence uh, that you do certain things. It's going to matter when it comes to training and working with your dog, okay? Now, there is a famous trainer out there. (laughs) He he has a particular order of things that he recommends that people do. And when working with your dog, he always says, what's first? Exercise, then discipline, then affection. The thing is, he's not wrong, and I don't disagree with him. And I'm not here to play the game of, you know, is he good, is he bad, is his philosophy? We're not not doing that right now. Um, But... What I do want to talk about is the fact that, yes, the order that you do things is going to actually affect your training. And it's very important. And exercise, discipline, affection. The reason he says that is that's, well, <laughs> I don't, I, I <laughs> hold on now. Let's not go down, let's not go down a different road. But look, here, here's my thing with this whole exercise, discipline, affection. When it comes to that, that, those three things, the reason it has to be that way is not because it's Caesar's way or because dogs work that way. The reality is it's because that's the way psychology works. That's the way psychology works for every animal on this planet. And the most basic example and easy way to understand this, guys, is I hope at least with this example, I hope you parents out there, I hope you're not giving your kid the reward, the dessert before they do the thing you're asking them to do right? Get an A and get get all A's, right? You tell your kid maybe, hey, get straight A's and we'll double your allowance, right? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Um, <laughs> but the point is you're not going to double their allowance before the end of the semester, are you? No. You're going to wait till they get the straight A's. Then, then they can get the reward. Well, guys, that's that's discipline and affection, Okay. Now the affection is being the the allowance being doubled. That that that's the reward. That is affection. It's on the side of affection, um, and the discipline is clearly withholding it, withholding giving them the doubled allowance until they get the straight A's. So you have to accomplish the thing, the behavioral expectation before the reward can come. Rewards have to come after the fact. So discipline, reward. Exercise, discipline, reward. Okay, so the exercise part. Let's start on. The, let's talk about that for a second. 
exercise and discipline, first off, to me, they're kind of the same thing. You know, exercise is discipline. It is. You have to be disciplined to get up and exercise every day or every other day or a couple times a week or even once a week. You have to be disciplined to create that consistency. And so discipline is exercise. <laughs> you know, like to me, that's kind of how it goes. And not to mention exercising, get your body, get your mind into a better state. So you're, you're, you're disciplined. You're creating a boundary. You're, you're fine-tuning your mind, your body in putting it on the right track. That is, that is discipline. So to me, exercise and discipline sort of can't really, they can't be removed from each other when we talk about this, okay? And we're gonna talk more just about a vague, generalized exercise discipline affection because that, look, that's my other gripe with this trainer. It's all very vague, generalized stuff. Use your energy, exercise discipline. Okay, what are the details? What's the in-between there? Because without giving me the in-between, how am I really supposed to know what to do? Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk more about today on this segment. Uh, <laughs> you know, but really simply put, guys, it, it's very, you have to think of it this way. This is where it has to start with the order of things. You cannot reward your animal, whether it be dog, cat, bird, or human child or spouse. Uh, you cannot reward your animal before they they give you what you need. Otherwise, you're just reinforcing the behavior of not meeting that behavioral expectation, and then they get the reward. And now you're actually conditioning that behavior. You're conditioning a behavior of don't meet the behavioral expectation, don't accomplish the things I'm asking you to, and you still get your reward, okay? So that's the whole concept of exercise discipline affection. It's because It's not because dogs are wired that way. No, it's because we're all wired that way. That's how we all learn. That's how we all either are reinforced for a behavior or punished for a behavior, as I've talked about many times, right? Um, so I am going to kind of go off of this generalized, vague, three thing uh, of, of how of the order of things, because it is correct. I mean, it really, you know, it is at the end of the day, it's correct. But like I said, it's very vague. So when I start telling clients how to work with their dog and what an average day should look like with their dog, it always does start with the exercise. I mean, I, I can't deny that. Guys, the way you should work with your dog is by every day, you heard me, every day should start with exercise. I mean, shouldn't we all start our day with exercise? We really should. We really should. We should wake up an extra half an hour, hour, whatever it is, uh, earlier. Look, I have a client recently where I told him their dog just has She's young and she's a retriever and she has a ton of energy <laughs> as they do a ton of energy. And as I discovered at, at our most, you know, our second session, um, even at the first session, as I discovered, it's hard to work with the dog. It's hard to get them to psychologically focus when they have this excess energy. And it was incredible just working her for like 10 minutes, going through my turns, get, getting, getting some of that physical energy down all of a sudden her brain like turned on. It was like a light switch had flipped, seriously. So that exercise part of it is so important. You have to get out there every day. You have to get out there every morning and start your day with your dog with exercise. Now look, I know it's not always ideal. I, I know. Sometimes weather doesn't cooperate, right? Look, in Florida, it's, a, a, you know, it's summertime. We're getting into summer and it gets to be this time of year and you're just... You're, you're SOL as a dog owner. <laughs> There's no other way to put it because you're either forced to walk your dog first thing in the morning, really early. And I mean, down here where I am, the cutoff, depending on the time of day, cloud cover in the summer, the cutoff is usually between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. And I can't walk my dog after that. Any of my dogs uh, can't walk my dogs after that because it just gets too hot. 
and it becomes dangerous. You know, the cement gets too hot, just it being too hot, it, it really becomes dangerous for them. And so then you have to wait till the sun goes down. And it's summertime, so the sun doesn't go down until a bit later. So summertime really kind of puts you in a little bit of a conundrum as far as the exercise side. Now, guys, we, I've talked about the walk how many times? How many times? So yes, we need the mental stimulation, but I am kind of specifically, more importantly, talking about the physical side first. I mean, just like I was talking about with that dog a minute ago, if they have to, if a dog has too much built up, pent up physical energy, they're just, they're not going to be apt to learn. Look, I said it, I think either last episode or a couple of episodes ago, that it's the same reason we give kids, little kids, playground time. They've got to get that excess energy out because if they don't, I mean, a teacher's life is already a nightmare. Thank you, teachers. <laughs> but can you imagine if those kids didn't get any physical energy out? What a nightmare it would be to try to teach them. Already is a nightmare enough trying to teach children. Can you imagine? So get your dog out and get them exercise. Get that physical energy down too. Now, of course, we have to do a proper walk and get the mental side, but there's lots of ways we can get the physical side down. Okay, yes, there are walks, Playtime is one way we get physical energy out, okay? Throwing a ball, if you have a nice covered patio, even just inside the house, uh, there's ways we can do that. Swim time is obviously a wonderful uh, thing in the summer to be able to get some of that physical energy out. Another great option now for pet owners, not the cheapest option, I understand, but man, what a wonderful investment, these doggy treadmills, guys. Uh, I bought one recently, and I have been very happy with it. It's been phenomenal. What a great supplement. It, it really is. Now, granted, yeah, I got a pack of dogs here. I can't throw a pack of dogs on one treadmill. I'm sure there will be many more in my near future. <laughs> Probably going to have a garage lined up with treadmills, doggy treadmills. But guys, what a great supplement. Anybody living in an apartment uh, that just can't get their dogs out on nearly as many walks, can't get them quite as much exercise, people who work a lot, people that live in hot places, which is a lot of us in the summertime, okay? What a phenomenal supplement. I cannot stress the coolest thing about the treadmill, right, is you can be enjoying your breakfast, having a cup of coffee, and your dog's on the treadmill, getting some extra energy out. Is it a substitute for a walk? Absolutely not. It is a supplement. Supplement, not substitute, guys, please. You've still got to wake up early and get your dogs out for a walk. But look, if you can get 10, 15 minutes outside of a good walk, you know, look, your schedule's crazy. The weather's not cooperating. Rainy days, rainy days. I mean, come on, you can't walk your dog when it's thundering and lightning out. So a treadmill is going to be way better, way better than nothing because they're still getting that physical exercise out. And there's some good mental stimulation to it as well. But like I said, it's not going to substitute for that classic outdoor walk, okay? So make sure you guys are getting those daily walks in. But man, a treadmill could really change your life as a dog owner. I'm, I'm being serious. It really could change you and your dog's life by helping get all of this extra pent-up energy out because you can accomplish something else while sitting right next to your pet on their treadmill. You could be doing work on the computer. You could be watching TV, relaxing. It could be your relaxing time, your dog's exercise time. Guys, there's all kinds of great ways now that we can get this physical energy out in our dogs and not deprive them of what they need, okay? Again, supplement not a substitute. <laughs> Gotta say it again. Uh, but really, doggy treadmills, that's where it's at, man. They're, they're, they're great. So that's the first thing is that exercise, 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 okay? So the first thing you need to do with your dogs in the morning is you need to get up, get them out of their crate, or if they're not crated, whatever, uh, take them out, let them do their business. I like to let my dogs do their business first, then go for the walk. I prefer to not have them doing their business constantly on the walk. Obviously, there's the mental reasons. We want them to be focused and engaged on the walk. 
not finding the next place to pee. To me, it's also just a logistical thing. I would much rather clean up the poop at my house and be right there and throw it away than carry it around for two miles, <laughs> you know? Uh, the other thing is sometimes I'm walking multiple dogs. I don't need to hold 20 bags of dog poop. So um, I like to let them relieve themselves, go for a good walk, get that exercise and discipline, as I talked about, uh, side in. Now, when we come back, quick side note, have to make the side note, guys. Anytime we exercise our dogs, okay, this obviously goes more toward the larger breed dog owners, larger chest cavity dog owners, but at the same time, any dog is capable of getting bloat. Uh, bloat or GDV, I'm sure you guys have heard of, but most of you have probably heard about it at some point along the way because it's getting talked about more and more, which is great. Awareness is key with this. But the rule of thumb is after you have, ex if your dog has been exercised, you need to wait 45 minutes to an hour before feeding them. Same thing goes for after feeding. If they just ate their meal, you need to wait 45 minutes to an hour before exercising them again, okay? Look it up, guys. GDV and bloat in dogs, B-L-O-A-T, GDV, gastro-diver, gastro-diver, oh, crap. See, this is why I did not go into medicine. <laughs> My brain can do the psychological terms, but you give me, like, biological medical terms and just forget it. Um, <laughs> it just, uh, my brain doesn't want to hold on to them. So, anyway, do your research on it, though, guys. Have to make that comment. Please be safe and be careful with your pets with exercising and eating, Okay. Uh, but that's my next step. I like to give them food after their after their walk, letting them settle, of course, but I like to feed them after. Think about it from an instinctual perspective, okay? Your dog wants to go out and go for a pack walk to find food, so you're giving them a job. We're going for the walk, we're getting our job, we're being accomplished, and then we get back and we get to eat the food. They get their reward after the discipline and exercise, Right? There's your order of things. So already within the first few hours or hour or two hours, whatever it is of you being awake, hopefully more than an hour because you need to let your dog rest. <laughs> um, but you get my point. We're already accomplishing this order of exercise, discipline, and affection because that is the order of things. The reason we have to do these things in this order goes back to the rules of psychology. Don't forget it, guys. Okay? So that's how I want to start my morning. Now, a lot of people also bribe. Let's just talk about bribing for a second because bribing is a prime example of kind of, I mean, really in a way, you're rewarding the dog before they're getting it. Look, dogs see the world through their noses, right? So even getting the scent of a treat can be enough to almost reward them. Yeah. So if you constantly are bribing your dog and having to use food to bribe them, <laughs> right, you're doing things in the wrong order. You're rewarding them before they've done anything. People who shake the treat bag to get their dog to come back inside, yeah, you're bridging the behavior there, but in reality, look, you're, you're, you're rewarding it in the end. You're telling the dog, right? What are you telling them? You're telling them they don't have to come inside until they hear this bag shake, until they know they're getting food. So you're bribing them and you're not really rewarding them. Then they get rewarded after the bribe for doing the wrong thing. Okay, so <laughs> just a little side note on bribing. Bribing is a reward that is coming before the reward is deserved. Yes, deserved. You heard me. Rewards are earned. Again, I don't know about you guys, but I don't get paid for doing nothing. I have to do my job to get paid. Okay, uh, your dog gets no different. Every animal on this planet needs a job. And the easiest way to give them a job is by doing things in the correct order. Like seriously, that's all you got to do is just do things in the correct order. Make sure you're providing the discipline, rule, and boundary first. Then the reward will come after the fact. Then the reinforcement comes 
after the fact. Reinforcement's always an after the fact thing. Reinforcement can't come before that because like I said, then you're not doing things in the right order. We're rewarding the wrong things. We're bright, okay, so on and so forth and we're getting out of control. So it's very important that we do things in the correct order, okay? But to me, the biggest thing, the biggest thing is the, well, I, I could sit here and say the biggest thing is the exercise, but that's taking away from the discipline because then going, well, then there's no boundaries. If there's no boundaries, then exercise isn't necessarily going to do you much good. So there are, it's almost kind of one in the, you, know, you just, you can't, like, <laughs> you can't even say with this, I mean, oh, the most important part is exercise. You really can't because the most important part is doing things in the right order. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, High Energy Breeds. Yes, you know them, you love them, they are high energy dogs. We've got all kinds of dogs that fit into this category, but you know what? What's, what's the most popular dog in the United States, has been for years, continues to be? The Labrador Retriever. That is the most perfect example of a high energy breed um, that we're going to talk about. Golden Retrievers, German Shepherds, uh, any Collies, Border Collies, right? High energy, high drive breeds. Okay, pit bulls could be considered into this uh, into this category here. High energy, hell, we have got uh, how many terriers could fit into a high energy, high drive breed? Okay. And when we talk about high energy, high drive breeds, as I'm going to say this over and over and over, um, we have one thing that first comes to mind for me is exercise. Exercise, 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 exercise. Oh, and guess what? More exercise. Oh, and you guessed it. There's also a little side of exercise. (laughs) That's what's going to keep these dogs happy, stimulated, and healthy. And do you know something? When I walk into homes with people having issues with these these breeds, these high energy breeds, do you know what the number one thing without a doubt in common that they're not doing? Exercise, you guessed it, okay? Now look, how many of you guys out there know? Friends, family, maybe you've heard your veterinarian talk about it over the years. How many of you know a retriever, a lab, a golden, who has a perpetual issue of eating socks? How often do I hear that one? Or they eat underwear or they eat how many things where they're having to visit the vet over and over and over for surgery, for, I mean, potentially life-threatening issues. And I also hear the other side where everybody goes, oh, that's just, that's what, that's a lab for you. That's a golden for you. And while yes, retrievers are more 
mouthy, tend to use their mouths more and maybe eat things at a little higher rate. That is not what they are supposed to do. That is not a normal behavior. What that behavior actually, I am a behavior specialist telling you, that behavior is frustration and anxiety. That is a dog attempting to displace their natural and instinctual needs with the inability to do it in a healthy way, and but they feel that they have to, and that's getting displaced as that. I know you may not want to hear this, but if your dog is one of these dogs, guys, your dog is anxious, understimulated, and frustrated. They can't talk to us, right? We hear, oh, animals can't tell us how they feel, how they, sure. But you know what? If you know how to listen to their behavior, they can tell you a lot. They can't tell you everything. You can't, you know, come on. They don't speak to me. I'm not Dr. Doolittle. Uh, I read behavior. And when an animal is showing me something like that, I don't know how to read it any other way other than frustration, anxiety, understimulation. Okay. So when we talk about high energy breeds, it, it, I, I feel it, it frustrates me a bit. It does. It does. Because I see all these displacements of anxiety in these dogs and people sort of normalizing it. And it's like, oh, geez, I feel sorry for the dog. I do. Because what that dog is trying to scream at you is, please take me for a proper walk. Please give me something to do. Let's go hunting. Let me retrieve a duck. Like, let me go swimming. I want to use my natural instincts. Let's go retrieve a ball, a stick. They're looking for direction and guidance from their owner, and they're not getting it. Okay, I know, I know, I mean, I mean, what you want to hear, but it is so the truth, and I can't get over how many people out there get high-energy breeds that just flat out should not have them. I'm sorry, but it's true. Look, when I was a little kid, um, I was the youngest of three, and it wasn't until I was seven years old that we got a dog. And part of it is because my dad, my parents, they knew. My mom and dad knew what goes into having a dog. And so finally, once it did come time, once we wore them down, um, you know, it, it was the discussion of what, what breed do we get? And it was a long discussion and a researched thing. I remember. I Really, I remember talking about it a lot. And there were certain stipulations. But look, this is just the reality. We, we weren't going to walk the dog every day. Now, we should have. We should have. We didn't know any better. You know, can't, can't blame us for that. Um, we should have walked our Shih Tzu every day. Didn't need to be an hour-long walk, nothing crazy, but we didn't. And while, sure, she had her issues and her problems that maybe we could have done better with, she overall was really, she was a good dog. She was a sweet dog. She was a great family dog. Um, and she met our needs, and we hopefully met her needs. Again, I was a little kid, you know, granted, she, you know, she, she actually, she lived to be 17 years old. So we did something right. You know, that's pretty cool. She lived to be 17. Uh, really awesome. She passed. I was, she got her, got her when I was seven. She passed away when I was in college. I mean, that's wow. Um, but anyway, you know, you, you get what I'm saying here. We found a breed that was right for us, a lap dog, what were Shih Tzu's originally bred for. They were bred for royalty, uh, to actually keep the emperors and empresses warm. That's why if you ever look at, you know, old Chinese paintings, you'll see, uh, of course, you'll see the Shih Tzu's in the picture, but you'll see them wearing these large robes that were almost baggy, and the whole purpose was so they could fit the Shih Tzu's in there. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Uh, keep them warm in the winter. Anyway, point is, lap dog, 
We're not talking a dog that's ready to run some marathons here. Uh-uh. Now, don't give Shih Tzus are very capable dogs, and they can actually do pretty well at agility, but the brachycephalic, you know, they're, they're not going for hour-long walks, two-hour-long walks. I don't need to give them a police work job, you know, like... This dog needs much less as far as stimulation and exercise in order to be fulfilled. Guys, there is nothing wrong with matching a breed to your family in your lifestyle. That's what you should be doing. That is healthy. Okay, that's going to ensure that your family is happy and the dog is happy, right? So I can't get over how many people lately are getting these dogs that I just no other way to put it. They just shouldn't have. They shouldn't have a couple examples. I mean, one I can think of. I have a client who's a bit older. I mean, she's a bit older. She is. It's just, it's the reality. She's in well into her late 70s. And she goes out and gets this high energy retriever. Puppy. Guys, you've got to be able to be fast with a puppy. And you're talking a lab puppy. You need to be able to bend over quickly, make corrections, reinforce with treats, correct with a leash, go for good walks. You need to be physically capable to handle a dog in a worst case scenario situation. Look, that's kind of my rule of thumb in general, guys. If you are not physically capable of handling your dog in some worst case scenarios, then that dog is not for you. Sorry to drop a truth bomb, but that, you know, it's funny. I was having that discussion with my mother-in-law the other day. She always, they love big dogs. They do. Um, and she even said, she goes, you know, our, our next dog is probably going to be a little bit smaller. <laughs> she knows she's not, we're not 25 anymore, you know? That's the reality. I even had that discussion the other day with somebody where I said, you know, I, when I get to be, I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll just be incredibly physically fit. Uh-huh. And <laughs> no, I'm going to be on the golf course, guys. Uh, my 60s and 70s when I'm retired, you know, I'm getting up into my 80s. Hey, hopefully, God willing, 90s. I don't think I'm going to have a pack of 80 pound dogs with me. I just, I don't, I don't see that happening. We've got to be realistic about the dogs we're getting guys and these high energy breeds that I'm seeing people get. Oh, it just kills me because I'm watching these dogs be understimulated, bored. Like there's no, they're just, they're straight up bored and they're like begging their owners, please give me something to do. And their owners physically can't do it. That stinks. I mean, uh, it does. It stinks. There are so many dog breeds, mixed breeds. I I mean, older breeds. Guys, how many older dogs, older breeds, older dogs are in shelters that need to be adopted that'll be calmer, physically easier to handle, maybe well-trained, already housebroken. You don't have to bend over and clean up after them. Please be smart about this. Please. Please, <laughs> I'm begging you. Okay, look, I I see people get German Shepherds who shouldn't have them. There are specific examples I could give. I don't want to get into specifics today. A German Shepherd is a very high energy, very high driven dog. And a lot of times a very physically large dog, an intimidating dog. Now, look, when I have a client that has a dog like a German Shepherd, it's a perfect example of the breed. When I have something like a German Shepherd, I tell these clients, there is a, we all know it. There is a perception in the world, or at least this country, you know, many countries there are, there's a perception of certain dog breeds and what we think and feel about them from just looking at, just seeing them, right? So I, I tell people, when you have something like a German Shepherd, whether you like it or not, 
It is your responsibility to go the extra mile in your training to ensure your dog's behavior is managed, to ensure you create a good dog. And you know what? It's it, it, In that way, it shuts the naysayers up. That's, that's the nice way of putting it. It's true. It proves these dogs can be well-behaved, well-adjusted, and act just as good as any happy lab retriever, right? When you own a dog that has a higher drive, that has a perception in the world of being aggressive or, or whatever people label, whatever label people want to slap on it, then yeah, unfortunately, you do have the extra responsibility to be more diligent, to be more um, in depth in your training, to take more time to ensure your dog is being properly exercised and stimulated. So. What does it take to keep one of these dogs exercised and stimulated? You're not going to like what I have to say, guys. You are not going to like what I have to say. You ready for it? If you own a retriever, if you own a German Shepherd, if you own a Collie, if you own uh, a lot of these terrier breeds even, these high-energy, high-drive, working dogs, sporting dogs, dogs that were bred to do something, minimum you should be going for like an hour and a half to two hours of exercise Every single day with your dog. David, I've got kids. I have eight-hour workdays. Both my wife and I work. No one's home for eight hours. Don't get a high-energy breed then, guys. Don't do it. Get a different dog. Or, or, there's an alternative, okay? Hire a dog walker. Take them to doggy day camps. Get to the dog park more often. Have neighbors come over for playtime, playdates. There are ways that you can accommodate it to your life, but if your dog is just sitting and rotting away in your house five days a week, eight plus hours a day, they're going to be bored. Now again, you wake up and you take them for that nice hour and a half walk in the morning. Before you go to work, you play a ball a little bit. They're really nice and stimulated. There's actually previous segments, guys, about how to optimize your mornings, especially if you're a family. There's multiple people in the household. There's no reason you can't keep one of these dogs. And that's my point. That's the other thing. I don't want to just say, don't get the dog. <laughs> there are ways to do this. There are ways to do this. But I can't tell you time and time again, I see people with these high energy breeds with plenty of people in the household to keep this dog stimulated. And they just don't. Plain and simple. So yeah, you're, you may not like it, but your dog needs minimum hour and a half to two hours of exercise a day if you have a very high energy breed. Talking a good brisk walk, playtime, structure, maybe some mental games, mental exercise. Maybe we go to the dog park a couple days a week, doggy day camp a couple days a week. There are ways to do this, guys. There are ways to do it in a healthy way, but you have to understand what your breed's needs, breed's needs are, right? This is the best way to ensure behavioral success and training with your family and your dog. And of course, to make sure these high energy breeds are kept stimulated, happy, and healthy. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the oldest species of animal in the world? It's the tenophores or comb jellies. Yes, they have existed for roughly 700 million years. Now, until a few years ago, sponges were actually thought to be the oldest living animals, but newer research, uh, newer research suggests that comb jellies are the first true animals. Next on Speak It Outcast, it's the first pets. 
today is the second time we will be doing this segment. It's the brand new segment that will be replacing the breed of the week. Um, it's kind of time, you know, 74 breeds of the week. So we decided uh, to have something new and have something fun. So this is going to be a segment all about the first pets of the United States. That is, those are the pets, of course, of the United States presidents. Now, I'm not going to go in order of presidents. We might jump and skip around. And today, we're going to be talking about Abraham Lincoln. Now, Abraham Lincoln was president in the mid-19th century, and really, you know, many people could not afford the luxury of a pet. Most people were more concerned with feeding themselves and their families and feeding animals that, in turn, fed them. Now, dogs didn't really feed uh, your family, so it just wasn't a privilege that a lot of people had. But people who did have dogs, they either had money or the dog was used specifically for hunting. At the same time, there were many stray dogs on the streets. They would scavenge for food and resources and would seek shelter in local barns. These dogs were uh, generally considered to be called tramps. Now, that might be where Disney actually got the name for the movie Lady and the Tramp. With that said, one lucky dog found their way into President Lincoln's life. Now, this was actually before uh, President Lincoln became president, and this dog was uh, came to be known as Fido. Now, I find the story of Fido particularly interesting because, well, we all know that the quintessential dog name is Fido, and this is where that comes from. Now, Fido is actually derived from the Latin word fidus, and that is actually translates to trustworthy uh, or faithful. Yeah, and so they shortened it down to Fido. So kind of cool, right? Now, Lincoln had a rough upbringing himself, which made him a bit of a softie for kids and animals. So if a cat or dog found their way into their home, they were not turned away. Now, although his wife Mary may have not always been the biggest fan of the animals, bringing their muddy paw prints inside, yes. Now, Fido was known to accompany Lincoln on errands around town. He was well-liked at the barber shop, where Lincoln would regularly visit for a shave. Most people think of Honest Abe as a bearded man, but prior to his presidency, he shaved. Now, the story goes he was told to grow the beard uh, once he became president because, well, he kind of had a bit of a baby face. <laughs> yes. Now, Fido would wait patiently outside the barbershop out front for his owner to be done. Interestingly, Fido was actually never a first pet. I know. Maybe we have an asterisk next to this one. Uh, it's not actually a first pet. Yes, Fido's life unfortunately changed when Lincoln was elected president. Now, even before the election during his campaign, there were people, of course, coming and going at all hours of the day and night for meetings with Lincoln. And this seemed to agitate Fido and make him anxious. So when Lincoln won the election, there was a great celebration in town and the city erupting in fireworks and cannon fire and people celebrating everywhere. And Fido ran and hid in fear. Now, Mary and Abe were realizing that the city life in D.C. was only going to be more stressful for him with more stimulation that was just maybe going to be a little too much. So much to this may of Lincoln's sons, Mary and Abe made the tough decision to keep Fido in Springfield and adopt him out to a local family, knowing that, you know, he'd be happier in the country until their return. Now, it took some time to just, you know, find that right fit for Fido. The Lincolns decided on Abe's oldest friend in Springfield, John Eddie Roll, and his family. Now, the Rolls had two boys about the age of Lincoln's kids, and Fido always loved children, so it seemed like a perfect fit. However, Lincoln did have a few stipulations, interestingly enough. They were to never tie him up in the backyard by himself. He was a house dog, so he should be allowed inside when he's scratched at the door. He was not to be scolded for having muddy paws. He should be permitted to join the royal family at dinner time, as he was accustomed to being fed by everyone at the table. And then there was one other stipulation. There was a sofa that had been built to accommodate 
uh, Lincoln's tall stature. Now, Fido often loved to sleep on this sofa, and he would also hide under there anytime he felt scared. So that sofa had to go with Fido to his new home. Now, also included was the understanding that Fido would live with the Lincolns, uh, would come back and live with the Lincolns upon their return to Springfield. Now, sadly, Fido met a similar fate at his, as his owner, Abe. A little over a year after Abe was uh, assassinated, one day while he was strolling about, Fido came upon a half-drunken man whittling. He went up to the man in his friendly demeanor, put his paws up on him to say hello, and in a drunken rage, the man stabbed Fido, and Fido ran away. Unfortunately, he was later found having succumbed to his wounds. But, um, you know, it was a little sad ending for Fido, but amazing that his legacy lives on just as much as his owners. Now, the Lincolns did have a few other animals along the way. They had ponies at the White House, they had rabbits at the White House, and goats too. Now, the boys were actually known to hitch the goats to carts and get pulled around just for fun. Also, one famous story is one year at Christmas, one of their sons, Tad, became very attached to a turkey that was being raised for Christmas dinner. This story became famous for Lincoln pardoning the turkey, of course, and letting it stay and living as a pet full-time with full run of the White House. Now, it's amazing Lincoln was such a softie for animals and kids. I love all these little interesting stories and tidbits that come along, uh, you know, with the presidency and their animals. So I'm looking forward to sharing more stories with you guys on our newest segment, The First Pets. It's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Angie from Tampa, Florida. Angie says, I have a three-year-old golden retriever named Ruby, and I've had her since she was a puppy. And since she was a puppy, she has had an unbelievable amount of energy. I walk her daily, but it doesn't seem to do much to calm her down. Admittedly, I am a newer listener, and I need to go back and listen to more segments to try to improve. Any immediate suggestions? Well, thanks for listening, Angie, and welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're uh, enjoying it so far. Uh, yeah, you know, there's definitely a couple things you can do. First thing is you want to make sure that you're using the right training tools, right? Uh, make sure you're using a six-foot regular old kind of nylon leash. You can use a leather leash. I don't have a problem, but you want to avoid the stretchy material leashes. You want to avoid runaway or extendable leashes. Those things are terrible. Uh, get yourself a regular old leash, and then get yourself a martingale collar. Martingale collars are awesome. They're great collars for golden retrievers. Uh, and, and go check them out at your pet store. Make sure you're getting the martingale collar that has the chain and is not all cloth. It's part chain, part cloth, as opposed to an all cloth martingale. Make sure you get the part chain and part cloth one. Okay, so that's the first thing. Make sure you're using the right tools. Uh, you're gonna wanna bring a treat pouch with you too. You're gonna need some treats on the walks to get some focus, and that's the other thing. Work on focus. Hone in on your dog's focus. That's the number one thing you wanna start with. Uh, look, I'll give you the quick little uh, rundown. I give the kissy noise exercise. People hear me talk about it all the time on the show. Um, you're gonna make that kissy noise. Call her name Ruby, right? Ruby. Uh, get her to look up at you and make some eye contact. Now you can cheat a little bit the first few times. You can take a treat because she, does, she doesn't know you have treats. She doesn't know what you want necessarily. Uh, so you can take the treat, okay? Kind of run it in front of her nose. Then guide the treat up below your chin. Hold the treat, treat below your chin so that way you gain eye contact from Ruby. Once you get the eye contact, you tell her, good girl. Hold the eye contact for a few seconds and then feed it. Now you're going to want to rinse and repeat this exercise a few times. 
kissing noise treat below the chin, feed it. And what, what we're starting to create is anytime you make that kissing noise, she's going to want to focus on you. Okay. We can start to use that outside on the walk with a little bit of leash work, um, but that's where it has to begin. Mental stimulation and focus. What I'm hearing is you're probably getting a lot of physical stuff out, but you're not getting the mental energy out. And if we're not getting both the physical and mental energy, forget it. You know, it's just, you're gonna you're gonna have a very excitable dog no matter how old she gets. Okay, so work on focus first. Walks are 85% mental and only 15% physical. Remember that, very important, okay? That's the first thing I would suggest. Get some focus under control. Try to get the walk under control. If she starts to pull you out the door immediately, look, I, you know, I'll give you I'll give you this a couple episodes ago, right? Where were we? We were at, um, oh, actually it was last episode. Excuse me, what am I saying? Last episode, uh, episode 75, what is a good dog? The second segment on that episode is walks, walks, and more walks. <laughs> I would recommend going back and listening to that. Quite frankly, any of the segments covering the walks um, because there are there's a lot of information and even a lot more that I can even cover in this little Q&A real quick. Um, so that's what I'd recommend though. Start with some focus. Make sure you have the right tools and, and hone in on trying to slow her down by controlling her focus. Next question. This is from Carrie from Gainesville, Florida. Go Gators. Carrie says, I have a four-year-old mixed breed rescue who does not like strangers when he is on a leash. If he is off leash, no problem. We can be at the dog park, somebody can walk in, and he won't have any issues. Out in the parking lot, on leash, different story. He also does not like when new people come to the house. I've hired a trainer for a few sessions, but he was using a lot of the tr a lot of treats with the aggression, and I felt like it was making things worse. I really want to help my dog, but I just don't know what to do. What are your thoughts? Well, Carrie, you know, thank you for this question. This is uh, this is a little tougher, you know. As I always say, when it comes to aggressive tendencies or we have these aggression issues that come up, these are not necessarily always the most black and white things to solve. They take some work, some dedication, and definitely some knowledge. Now, clearly you have the dedication side. You've already gone out and tried to hire a trainer. Maybe it didn't go so well. Um, so that's good that you've got that side taken care of, but maybe the knowledge side is the part that you're missing. Um, you know, interestingly, I actually have a client uh, recently who has similar issues, you know, sim sim similar problems going on. It's quite a parallel. And same kind of thing, you know, and she actually had hired another trainer and unfortunately it did not go very well with the other trainer. It definitely, it made things worse. And, you know, the first time I met them, when I came for the consultation, I actually ran through the, the uh, routine that the trainer had established to try to get the dog to calm down. And it definitely did not calm the dog down. Okay. So yeah, look, aggression's a tough thing. And I just have to say, you know, what are my thoughts I can't necessarily give too many suggestions with this because, you know, with, when it comes to any dogs I work with, I really like to see what's going on first and sure. Uh, generalized questions, I can definitely give you some answers. But when we're talking about something more in depth with the aggression, more complicated, right? This isn't just a black and white answer. My thoughts are that you should keep searching for a trainer. You should keep searching. You definitely, I, I, I would recommend finding a behavior specialist if you can, someone more on the behavioral focus side rather than just some obedience stuff. Uh, someone who really has a specialty dealing with aggression. Because like I said, these are not necessarily black and white things to be able to fix this, okay? Um, you know, what I would say is, is please, please be safe. If you need to use a muzzle, that's not a horrible thing. Please use a muzzle before going into any other training tactics. Like, don't, please don't use a shot collar. It can only make it worse. Um, 
you know, I know some people will say, oh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's going to, I don't like him, just stay away from him. Um, but but a muzzle is not a bad idea to try to start getting him comfortable with that because that's one of the first things. Look, the client that I've got, similar situation, that's the first thing I said. I said, we got to get a muzzle in this dog. This is, it was just, it was too dangerous, too dangerous to try to approach it without a muzzle. And as, you know, as this owner is discovering, a lot of times just putting the muzzle on the dog eliminates the option. And when you eliminate the option, the dog stops doing it. Now, getting the muzzle off, different story. Again, why I recommend that you find a behavior specialist in your area. This is something a little more particular, you know. Um, I do know somebody up in the area that actually had some good success with the trainer up there. So maybe I can try to hook you up with them. Uh, But, you know, hey, it's it's a tough thing. This is not black and white. This is not necessarily something that's going to be the easiest to solve, but you you can manage this behavior. Being that you have success off-leash with the dog, that's a great start. I'll be honest. That's a good start. That's a good thing uh, that it's not just straight-up aggression no matter what and discriminatory uh, to any stranger. So at least there are some parameters, and that helps. But like I said, I would really recommend find a behavior specialist, see if you can't find somebody local, because you're going to want some serious one-on-one uh, to get this stuff under control and better managed. <music> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. Follow me on Instagram at Dogcast. Apple Podcast users, if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating or give me a great review. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh